Hey there, everyone. This is Chris McLaughlin here with Ariel Eldridge, and welcome to the Sunday Recap. So glad that you're here today. Uh, hey, Ariel, how's it going? Hey, Chris. It's good. <laughs> it's really good. Hey, you've been uh, helping to lead worship down at uh, middle school camp this week, right? Yes. Middle school camp has been yeah. rocking. So this is day two. Okay. Um, all the kids were dropped off yesterday morning. You could see some parents were really exuberant. Some parents were a little <laughs> little teary. Oh, sure. And um, I personally would have loved to have had my boys let me help them make their beds and get a picture of camp. <laughs> but as soon as they saw their friends, they were gone. Yeah. They were gone. I couldn't find them. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Yep, I believe it. That's great. That's great. I'm so glad they're able to go down there and enjoy their people. But yeah, I've been uh, I've been helping with worship in the morning and evening sessions. Yeah. And um and Mitch and is down there Mitch all day. Right, yeah. yeah. I was gonna say he's down there all day long, all the week long this week. Um so busy week busy week for him for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um but we are carrying on with the podcast. So yeah. and just so that you guys know, Ariel didn't like fly back from you know, this <laughs> camp that's really far away. It's only down in Trafalgar, so it's not super far, mm -hmm. but it's kind of nice for for people to help out like yourself who Maybe you just, so you don't have to stay down there the whole time, but yeah. you can just go down when you need to go down and then you come right back. So. Come back, do some work, yeah. come home, eat dinner, go down again. Make a podcast. <laughs> Make a podcast, <laughs> doing all the things. That's great. It's great. That's cool. Well, um, I uh, want to talk a little bit about something that's coming up uh, in the life of our church, something for new people. Um, this is a an event that we're calling Step One, and really it's a it's an opportunity for people who are new to Stones to get familiar with Stones Crossing Church and what we're all about and how to get maybe get connected in some ways. Um, kind of lay out the vision for this for yeah. us. What is what is Step One all about? Gladly, it's a meal together with our staff and elders. Mm -hmm. um, and really, what we what we found is that. Um, People who are new to our church tend to connect with um, with the church more whenever we have an experience together to just sit down and um, and have some fellowship together. Yeah. And so we have a meal right after second service, and um, and then we have some childcare available, and so that families can go back, kids can go back, um, parents can stay, and hear a little bit about the vision and the mission of Stones Crossing Church, um, and just hear some introductions and a little bit of the story of the background yeah. of who we are and how we came to be. Yeah. I love too, that this is an event that is somewhat informal too. Like it has yeah. a lot of like fellowship and relational elements to it. it it's, it's, it, it just feels like having a lunch with a bunch of new friends yes. in a lot of ways. And that's the goal. So, um, this is coming up when this will be July 25th. Okay. Is, so a little ways yep, away. Yep. It's a little ways away, but what I'd love to challenge you is if you are not a new person to stones crossing church to just keep your eyes open, um, as the body of Christ, we want to be looking for, um, those who are strangers to our, our family. Yeah. Um, and just keep an eye on them. And if you meet someone new, um, direct them to, to me, first of all, cause I would love to meet them and get them connected. Yeah. Um, but let them know about step one and, um, and that we'd love to have them and their families. Yeah. I'd even encourage you too, if you are uh, at the place where maybe you have a neighbor a friend, a coworker that you are wanting to invite to church, start inviting them and maybe go with them to step one. It might yeah. be a great opportunity to kind of break the ice with them and help them to kind of get to know a little bit about a, a great local home church where they can get plugged in. And yes. So it'd be great. So anyway, that's coming up July 25th. Fifth. That's right. Yep. And it's right after second service uh, right here at Stone. So hopefully we will see you guys there.
this week was great. Um, we jumped back into the sermon series, Living in the Overflow. This is going back into Psalm 23. And Pastor Scott really focused on just the first four words of Psalm 23.3, he restores my soul. That was the, the focus of this message. So let's go ahead and read Psalm 23 again. Uh, and man, I feel like we should have this memorized by now, and I feel like I don't. <laughs> so <laughs> I do. do you I challenged myself because I really haven't memorized a long, a lengthy passage of scripture okay. since I was a kid. Yeah, and I was like, this needs to happen. Oh, that's great. So I figure if we're spending, you know, three sections of the year in Psalm twenty-three, that I should probably memorize. That's it. awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, then, Ariel, would you read it? And I will read it. Will you for, Will you <laughs> recite it from memory? <laughs> I'm not going to recite <laughs> okay. it. Because I right. want to do it well for our people. Cool. Okay. Psalm 23 is a psalm of David, and it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. So um, right at the beginning of verse 3 is this this little line, He restores my soul. It's only... It's only actually two words in the Hebrew, and it's yeah. <laughs> so it's like very, very short. But um, Pastor Scott really wanted to unpack this idea of restoration. Like, what is this restoration that this is talking about? And so he talked a little bit about what my, you know, because sort of the first part was setting up uh, what, uh, is our soul. And, and, uh, and he talked a little bit about why we might need restoration. The second part really went into that brokenness that we experience. And then the third part, he talked about the restoration that Jesus gives us. And, um, well, let's get into the beginning here. The thing that, that Scott kind of introed this whole message about is that, um, we, you know, we, we, we tend to doubt, the goodness of God. We, we tend to forget the goodness of God, um, on the regular. And we think that ultimately sometimes that we're the source of the goodness that's in our life. Mm -hmm. And so he sort of walked down this chain, right? That like, if we start to think that, then that means that we start to uh, experience ungratefulness, unthankfulness about the things that we have in our life, which then leads to us trying to control our circumstances in life, like to try to grab as many of those good things as possible, which then leads to exhaustion, which then leads to depression. Um, and, and we just wonder why we can't get all the good things that we want and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that's absolutely true. I think we see this over and over again. Um, just thinking about celebrities, uh, in particular, I remember, so, okay. Um, I grew up at the time, uh, when I was in middle school, high school, Nirvana was like the, the big, mm -hmm. you know, band that was, that was out there and things like that. And, um, I remember when Kurt Cobain died and people talked a lot about about and I, I think that there were actually quotes about it where like with all the fame and the and the um, the money and everything that he had in his celebrity status that he still did not actually have satisfaction mm -hmm. in in life it never brought him all that stuff so so here you have an example of someone who actually had everything that the world says that you're supposed to have but actually did not bring that that satisfaction in life um, and so. 
I guess what I want to ask first is why, like, why is it that in our, in our hearts, maybe it's a, there's, there's a cultural significance to this, but why is it that we seem to always kind of go back to this, that we are the, uh, the source of the good things in our life and we deny God? I think the first, the first thing that you said when we started here is that we're just really forgetful. Mm. And I think that um, oftentimes we we get in the zone and we are just completely forgetful of God, that he's not priority. Yeah. And so um, he doesn't get first thought. And so we, we genuinely forget him um, and forget that all things come from him. Um, secondly, everything that we have and everything that is good, if it comes from us, is broken. And so we just right. keep chasing more of it. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's like a rat race of, of the, you know, the exercise wheel that you've seen a hamster in and it's just, it's never ending. We're always chasing it because we don't realize that it's truly, um, a repetitive cycle of, of, uh, yeah. dissatisfaction. Yeah. That's really good. It, it, it has to come from like the good things in our life have to come from something outside of us because, because we're broken. Yeah. So, so the things that we seek after that we think are good ultimately, are not going to be ultimately good, you right, know? Right. Um, and so it has to be something from outside of us. And, and this is where I think the Bible is so helpful because as the Bible talks about it, it says that everything that is good uh, in our life, that is actually good in our life comes from God, mm-hmm. right? So this is from James chapter one, every good and perfect gift comes from God, the father of heavenly lights. Um, and this is a, a really fascinating statement because, I mean, if we start to really break that down, we can start to, you know, come up with some categories of different things that are good. So like, I mean, you know, it could be, um, we have food on the table, mm-hmm. you know, and a house over our heads and clothes to wear and that we have family, we, we have friends, we have, um, satisfying relationships and things like that. Those are all good things. Um, but I think there's even more like, I mean, there's sort of intangibles as well. Like, like what, what if we talk about love, um, uh, that our, our very life itself is actually a good thing that mm-hmm. then is given to us by God, right? So God is the one, uh, actually it, it, the scriptures talk about how Christ um, is the sustainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he, and through, through him, all things were made. So he's our creator and uh, by him, all things exist. And so and he is together. our, and hold together. So yeah. he is our sustainer. So life itself is, is a good thing that, that then comes from God, which means that this is, this is just blows my mind. So then it's like every morning, if we wake up, <laughs> you know, then, then that is a gift from God, um, that we should be thankful for. Um, I think we could even talk about things like knowledge, mm-hmm. um, another intangible in some ways, but, but knowledge of anything really is something that is imparted to us by God. And this might be a new concept for, for some people, but maybe, uh, Ariel, can you help us sort of unpack a little bit of that, like, like the idea of like, what knowledge are we talking about? Is it just knowledge of God or is it all, all knowledge or what, what are we saying here? Yeah. Oh, that's a tough one because where to even begin? Yeah. Um, I can tell you that, um, that having studied a little bit of philosophy, Mm -hmm. there is an era now that we are part of that, um, that 
has come from a, a long history of scientific reason and thought. Yes. And um, and so man has kind of um, been autonomous in in his thinking for a while now. Yeah. So this is probably traced back to the Enlightenment. Yes. Right. And yes. so we're talking about philosophers like John Locke, Immanuel Kant, um, Descartes. Yeah. You've probably heard those names. Um, and I think, therefore, I am. Yes. Descartes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so even before that though, um, it'd be interesting for us to know that, that most of society really truly believed that all knowledge came from the Lord, that That's right. it is a gift, it was yeah. a grace to us, um, and that there is a specific revelation that was found in his word, um, that, that that is truly what enlightens us, that it mm. is um, specifically given by God. Right. Um, but having, you know, Looking, zooming in on where we are here in America, and um, and knowing we are post enlightenment, and that um, that we are the type of people who historically have pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps um, to to be self made. Right. It's really been kind of ingrained into us um, generationally to to um, to envision what we want and to go out and and grasp it. Yeah. Yeah, that's exa- I think that's exactly right. And we live in sort of the culmination of that right now. Right. Um, j- just as an example, if you've ever seen uh, Star Trek, okay, Star Trek, I think, is a good example of this. So um, the, the, the way that um, Star Trek kind of envisions the future is that it envisions a future where humanity has moved on from the idea of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a very specific episode, both, uh, both in the original series and in the next generation. Sorry, I'm a Trekkie. So I know I'm yeah, like, here we I'm, go. I'm exposing We're going myself down here, the trail. but, um, but there's very specific episodes where it talks about that. And then they moved on from the idea of God and that, um, in doing so humanity then is able to solve its own problems mm-hmm. and, um, and so they do things like, you know, there's no more war uh, on earth. The nations don't really exist as separate nations, but they're unified as a planet. Um, there's no more money. Um, and so everybody works for the benefit of, of mankind. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a very utopian future, but it's what's called a humanist. So it's a secular humanist perspective on what the future would would look like and should look like. And all of this mm-hmm. is birthed out of the Enlightenment, okay? Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think we have a culture now that sees, um, that looks to that future and says, yeah, that's that's how things should be. But the problem is, is that we also want relativity. Uh-huh, And yeah. so when you put those two together, yeah, it, doesn't work. it doesn't work. It's <laughs> yeah. a huge mess. Very true. Huge mess. Um, and, I mean, another thing, just to go back to the knowledge concept here, so, so one of the things that came out of the Enlightenment then is this idea of rationalism. And rationalism is the idea that we can know things just by our observation. Our experiences. Our experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can know everything through those means. And what the Bible actually shows us is that that's not true. Um, actually, my yeah. Seventh grade uh, science book told me that that wasn't true. Really? Yes, because I loved constellations when I was in middle school. Okay. And I remember hearing that Jupiter had 13 moons when I was in seventh grade. Um. Well, when I started having children and Titus was totally into space, we were looking at a book. And then at the time we were reading that book, Jupiter then had 64 moons. Yeah, I was going to say it's in the 60s So isn't now. that interesting <laughs> that we just know so much, but yet it changes so it quickly changes. because yep. we don't. We find out that we actually... 
have a limit to our knowledge. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. And so, um, just a couple passages on this. I mean, we mentioned this passage a couple weeks ago, but it's, uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29, which says the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. And so I think there's a, there's a concept there that God he actually holds all knowledge, right? So, so God holding all knowledge, he retains some of that for himself, but decides to communicate some of those things and reveal some of those things to us. And that, um, includes, um, believers, but it also includes non-believers. So, Mm -hmm. so in other words, any knowledge that anybody has is something that is actually communicated to us by God and people use it for all kinds of weird, <laughs> different reasons. Uh, but the idea would be that as, as believers, we would use those things for the glory of God. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, which is really fascinating. So it's natural revelation and specific revelation. We talked about this a little special, bit. On yeah. Oh, special. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, in it's so interesting. It's all a grace from, from the Lord. And, um, I just, I love that the Lord has made us in his image yet. Um, the broken part of us, broken part of humanity is a bunch of, of image bearers walking around misusing the knowledge that God has shared with us. Right. Um, Right. And so he's in the business of restoring that right now. That's right. So, so this is where this kind of why all this matters. I mean, if we, if we bring it back, so now we've got this concept of, you know, knowledge actually comes from God. All of these good gifts actually come from God. And so that means that if we're trying to seek out, if we're trying to be the our own source of the good things in our life. This is actually a rebellion against God. This is a a denial that he is the source of those good things. And it's Mm -hmm. looking to us as the creature, um, as our, as God ultimately. Um, and this is, this is a, this is a dangerous place to be, um, really when it comes to, um, our relationship with God, because at at that point we are, we are, committing treason against him. We are in rebellion against him. So, right. um, so that's a, a, a pretty crazy thing. So this is, this is what really brings forth, um, this, this treason, this rebellion is what brings forth the brokenness mm-hmm. that we feel. Um, it's, it's the root of the fall. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Ariel, maybe let's do this. Let's, let's jump back to, to Genesis chapter three to the okay. fall. Um, and could you maybe, help us uh, unpack here a little bit. What exactly is at the root then? You said the root of the fall. Mm -hmm. What is going on here in these first, maybe like seven verses where, where we can see that, that this idea of autonomy, um, is really at the root of it. Yeah. Well, um, Scott brought this up very briefly too. And here you see, um, Eve being tempted first by the serpent and the serpent telling her, um, that what she believes about what God has said won't truly happen. And so he first causes her to doubt that, that what God said is, is truth. Right. Um, and gives her the opportunity to decide for herself. Shall I decide what is true? It's a doubting of God's it's word. A doubting. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and so that is her very first step of autonomy is to, to, to decide for herself. I, I'm, I must know more. Mm. Um, and, uh, when she also looked at the fruit and saw that it was, I was going to say, it, it, she, it, it, it's almost like she's saying, I want to be the authority. Right. Like, like I'm not going to let God's word be the authority anymore. I'm going to be the authority. Yeah. Right. Exactly. 
Yep. And yeah. <laughs> and so then it just spiraled down from there. And so, um, I mean, we've all been guilty of that. I, if you've yeah. raised a child or been around a child, you can see that this is ingrained in us from the beginning um, yeah. because we're all born broken, broken people. Broken, <laughs> can I tell you people. a story? So, and I'm going to totally, I may know this and I, well, you might, I want to hear you tell but, it. So a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with my, my four-year-old, almost five-year-old son, Caleb, and he talked about how um, he wants to be in charge. And, oh, I, I, yeah. and he's just like, he's just like, yeah, like I want to be in charge. Like I want to, I want to make the rules. And I'm, I'm like, well, buddy, that's not how this works. And, and, uh, and then, uh, a couple of days later, he was talking about his birthday that's coming up. And he's like, that's the day where I get to make all the rules. And I'm like, wow, like this is very. Some serious power struggle, like all like wrapped what? up in his little body. Yeah. It's so oh, funny. Anyway. I think you guys are still waiting for him to come clean on the fact that he drew on his sister this week. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, there was that too. Yeah. Oh man. So yeah, that's just your, your kiddos fallenness and mine have it too. And it's, it's sometimes humorous because we just know that it's, it's so, it's so first nature for us yeah. to do those things. Yeah. Um, and some of us are better at hiding it than others, but truly it's there. <laughs> it's there. Right. Absolutely. Well, in, in Scott's um, second part of the message, he broke down maybe three things that sort of result from this brokenness. And I, and I think this was really interesting because he talked about grudges, he talked about guilt, he talked about grief. Um, but I, I think in, in some way or another, these are all sort of indirectly rooted back into the, this autonomy issue. So like, for example, grudges, um, you know, holding a grudge, we, you know, and I think Scott did a great job um, talking about that, like what it is when we, um, develop that grudge and we, 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 you know, all that sort of stuff. I think that was great. Um, but I was thinking about it at, at its core level, what it really is, is it's a denial that God is actually just, mm-hmm. right. It's a, it's a denial that God's, God is actually going to be, to, to actually exact his justice eventually. And that, um, the people that have hurt us, are probably not going to receive that justice, receive the judgment for the things that they've done to us. And so this is us in some sort of weird, twisted way trying to enact some kind of judgment on them or mm-hmm. like they're just in desperate waiting for that judgment to come yeah. on them. Um, and that's what's at the heart of a grudge, right? Yeah. Um, and so ultimately there's it's an autonomy issue. It, it's like we're trying to be God in that sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I just think that's I think it's interesting, but I mean the Christian response is is utterly different than that. Like if we think about God being just, then then what is the Christian response? Yeah, the well, um, Scott said we have choices. We can let love cover it, mm-hmm. um, or we can let it define us as we carry that wound, and um, and then we start to be known by that. But the Christian yeah. response, um, the biblical response, would be to to work it out and to be at peace with one another as far as it concerns you. Right. Um, yeah. Because at the core of it, because God is just, mm-hmm. he will bring that justice eventually. Absolutely. Now for the non-believer, that justice will be heaped onto them at the, at the, at the judgment, mm-hmm. right? For the believer that, that judgment was put on Christ at the cross. Yeah. And so just, justice is going to be enacted. It's just, um, for us, it's trusting that he will do that. Yeah. So, well, let's talk about guilt. You talk about guilt. Yeah, let's talk about guilt. Um, 
so guilt is, is, is a little bit different, a little bit different category here. Um, and I really like the way that he phrased it. Cause I mean, one, he brought up a quote from Woody, which is, mm-hmm. which is awesome <laughs> just to hear from, uh, something from Woody church again. Um, but he, he said, you know, guilt is a good thing because it drives you to the cross. Um, and I think, you know, today is a really interesting, I, again, I think this is rooted back in autonomy in, in a sense, because today we are seeing a push to remove guilt on our own. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so for example, um, there is a, uh, a very famous, um, uh, author, uh, she's, she's like a sociologist and a, and a psychologist, um, named, uh, Brene Brown. And I don't know if you've ever read any yeah. of her stuff. No, I haven't, but I've heard of her. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and she's made some, um, kind of made her way in some Christian circles as well and things like that, talking about this idea of guilt and shame and the difference between the two. And it's really, it, it, it it's interesting stuff. She's doing a lot of research in that field, but, um, ultimately the idea here is that we end up doing more bad things and more wrong things because we are so caught up in this idea of the shame and the guilt that we feel all the time. And so the, so her goal in, in the book is just to kind of point out like, this is what the research is showing, but then what we need to actually do is get rid of the the guilt and the shame. Mm-hmm. We have to get rid of that in order to actually move on as people. Now she doesn't necessarily in her first book anyway, give a solution to that, but, um, but what we see our culture doing is trying to remove shame and guilt on their own. Right. Um, and so this is why we have things like, I mean, okay, so let's talk about homosexuality for a second. Now we don't have the time to go into all the ins and outs of the biblical perspective on homosexuality. That's a topic for another day. Um, but just assuming with the idea that yes, the Bible does talk about homosexuality, it does call it a sin. Then there, there is a biblical perspective on it, which means that if uh, what, what we're talking about here, um, if then the Holy Spirit is there to convict us of sin, then the Holy Spirit should convict people who are really dealing with, um, I mean, really all sexual sins, including homosexuality. So that I want to, I want to, want to be sensitive to that because I don't want to single out homosexuality as just like the only terrible sexual sin type of a thing, but it's, it's, it's one of many. And I think everybody's sexuality is broken in one way or another. And so there's, there's all that to deal with. And the Holy Spirit should be convicting us, uh, uh, all of us on the ways that we, uh, that we, that we mess up in that way. But I want to point out homosexuality in particular, just because we are experiencing something very interesting in the culture where we have, um, and it's, it's right now a, a, a month of the year where, uh, in Western culture, they call it gay pride month. Okay. And that's like, that's like a thing, right. Um, having gay pride. And so the, the issue that I I think I just want to highlight is that I think we have a, on a, a macro level example of, uh, of our culture trying to eradicate guilt for a biblical sin. Right. And that, and that's what we see happening here. They're trying to say, no, let's shift our understanding of this from a, an understanding of it as being a sin and feeling guilty over it to an issue of pride, um, and, and actually taking pride in, in this thing. And so it's, 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 it's an attempt to eradicate guilt, uh, by their own, uh, by their own means. And so, I think it becomes kind of tricky because that's not everyone's experience with that as much as I think as much as people try to celebrate that and try to, um, embrace the idea of pride in, in whatever sin that they're doing, you can't do that 
completely. You mm-hmm. can't do that all the time. So it's a, right now it's almost like a facade that's up over all that. So I don't know. That's pretty bold to say probably, but uh, <laughs> well, I, I get it. But I, I think going back to what you just said, that's not everyone's experience. And, um, and maybe you've known someone who has struggled with same sex attraction. They, they, tr- they struggle yeah. with it because of what God's word says. And so there isn't a lot of pride there. There's some shame. And, um, and so this guilt is what brings us back to the cross right. over and over. And leads so us to repentance. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, the last one here is grief, and uh, and and this is where we I, and again I thought that Scott defined this very well. He talked about this as grief as it's not grief is not a bad thing. Um, grief is actually the process by which um, we manage our losses, and so what that assumes is that we're going to have losses, we're going to experience loss, and and um, that's an important thing to do. So the 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 five stages of grief right um so <laughs> this is the way that that um modern psychology talks about this is that we go through denial anger bargaining like sadness and depression is the fourth one and then acceptance at the end um but again i think it comes down to an, an autonomy issue not that we go through the stages of grief it's more like how long we hang out in the stages of grief mm-hmm. is really what the issue is um so like if we are hanging out in the denial and the anger uh, and the bargaining stage and all that sort of stuff, if we're hanging out there for too long, then, and I don't know what too long is because I think we have to recognize that there's different levels of Mm -hmm. how people go through this sort of stuff. But I think if we're hanging out there too long, we might be at a place where we're, 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 you know, the, the good things that God has given us are things that we want back. And we're, we're trying to get those things back. Mm -hmm. You know, we're trying to, to reclaim the things that we have lost. So like bargaining is a good example of that. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so often, you know, people that are going through stages like that, um, especially when they're in sort of the anger stage, they may say stuff like, you know, if I were God, I wouldn't do that way. Yeah. You know, or a, a loving God would never do that to me you know, those sorts of, those sorts of things. And then in the bargaining stages, it's like, you know, what if I, you know, if I just do this, God, would you, you know, would you give that back to me? Mm -hmm. You know, things like that. I think that when, when we're going through this grief, um, to get to that final stage of acceptance, Mm -hmm. um, that modern psychology teaches truly for people to get there, um, and to stay there is to rely on the fact that God is God is good. Yeah. And that's truly what we're um, studying here in, in Psalm 23, that he truly is good, that his character is good. Not only are his gifts to us good and his faithfulness to us good, but he himself is purely good. And um, and yeah. so for us to move on is to trust that and to um, let him be our good rather than the things being our good. Yeah. Um, and that he's truly in the, the business, like I said before, of restoration and that he's restoring our brokenness and our and the fall, um, and that we're in the middle of the story. And so um, Scott went on to say, like Jesus restores our our brokenness, and he does that in three ways. So I don't know if you want to yeah, talk about well, those. I love what you just said because I think I, I think that's exactly the issue. It's it you know because ultimately we're we're denying that God is good, right? And even. That, that, that he's good even in the times where he does take things away from us. I mean, I would say, you know, if, if that's something that, that maybe you're wrestling with right now, going through right now, go back to like, like the book of Job, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, is, is a fantastic picture of that because that's where Job was. Job was in denial after losing his family and all of his wealth and everything that he was in this place of like, God, are you really good? And God had to correct him and kind of, you know, and he was very gentle with him and tender with him and all that, but he corrected him. And in the end, Job really saw you are good and and ultimately, I can trust you yeah. in the midst yeah. of it all. Um, so, if, if we were going to go back to systematic theology too, and just mm-hmm. bring this back to a pastoral way to describe, yeah. um, if you talk about systematic theology, you know that God is um, is other, and cr- there's a distinction between the Creator and the creature. Yeah, and uh, for the creature to um, to to assume that the creator doesn't know what he's doing and to, um, to kind of assume the role of, of, um, authority is completely out of, out of order and, um, only results in, in problems, obviously, as we've seen. Um, and so we see like Job there is struggling with that. He's struggling like with this, I'm, I'm the clay actually, and the potter makes the decisions. And I cannot say to the potter that I should have been um, given this or yeah. changed or done this way. Right. Um, and so it's truly a, an element of humility for us to approach God and say, I trust you, Lord. I know I've seen in your word that you are good and that you are perfect and that you're faithful right. um, and that you are directing all things for your glory and for my good. Right. Um, that if we can have that mentality in all things, that even the hard things become bearable uh, because we know the end of the story. So good. Nailed it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so good. Let's jump then to the idea of the restoration, okay? Because yeah. if that's the problem, and we only have a few minutes left, but if that's the problem, then restoration has to have a very specific type of restoration. I mean, mm-hmm. if if truly the problem is us seeking autonomy, seeking to be God, this denial of his goodness and, and all that sort of stuff, then restoration has to look in in a very specific way. So the three state the three steps that that um, Scott laid out for us, I think is a is a very good broad outline of what that looks like. Cause first he said, Jesus reconciles me to God. Well, absolutely. Because the first thing is that we recognize that in our seeking of autonomy, we have then rebelled against a holy God, against the King committed treason against him. And so there is, um, justice that has to be done with us. It's a broken relationship that needs restored. Right? Yes, yeah. exactly. And so the first thing is really just that God has to forgive our rebellion. He has to forgive it. And there's, you know, because he's he's both gracious to us and he's just, he can't just forgive it and mm-hmm. like let it dissipate into thin air. Which, you know, I've had that question from mm-hmm. my kids have asked that question. Okay. Yeah. Why can't God just forgive all the sin? Like why could why couldn't he just do that and snap his fingers and have it be done? Why did Jesus have to die? You know, those are those are true questions. Absolutely. That we ask. And it's because he's just. He's just. I think Romans three really helps to point that out. Um, I think like verse 26 or some, somewhere in there. Um, but but that means that he is both just and the justifier yeah. uh, at the same time. Um, and and this, is the, this is exactly what he did in Christ, that in Christ, um, the, all of the sin uh, and the shame and uh, the guilt that we, uh, uh, that we have upon us then gets placed onto Christ to where um, I think it's in Colossians, it says that he becomes sin itself, mm-hmm. right? 
And then the full wrath of God gets poured out on the Son at that moment so that um, so that justice is done, mm-hmm. right? And therefore we can be forgiven. That's the that's the gospel. That's the whole yeah. that's the whole purpose of this whole thing, right? He makes propitiation for us. There you Would go. you say it that way? <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Um, so then the second part of this is, you know, Scott says, Jesus refines my character. Mm-hmm. So what what's wonderful about Jesus's restoring uh, of of our of our souls um, is not that he just forgives us and then leaves us where we are, but that he forgives us and then he begins to transform us mm-hmm. and renew us. Um, Ariel, before the podcast, you were talking about just how he does this within the image, bringing yes. us back to the image of God. Maybe yeah. unpack that a little bit. So as image bearers, we are we are, are broken image bearers because of the fall. Mm-hmm. And so um, what he did is he sent his perfect image bearer, Jesus Christ, who is the exact representation of God. And now he is forming us into the image of Christ mm-hmm. so that we can have our image, the image of God restored in us. Um, and he does that over our lifetime and we'll do that perfectly in glorification yeah. at the end. Yeah. Awesome. So that's one thing I think that we can, we can count on that here right now, God is, God is doing that in his people. He is, he is making us more into the image of Christ. Um, and I think that that leads to this great question that Scott brought up is instead of, you know, when we're going through loss or when we're going through um, when we're dealing with pain and, and circumstances and all that sort of stuff that we don't ask the question, why is this happening to me? You know, mm-hmm. we, you know we, that we don't do that sort of a thing. But what we do is we say, God, what do you want me to learn in this? Because ultimately, if we, if we believe that God is good um, and that he maybe has put these things in our life for a purpose, mm-hmm. then that means that, that, that it's a good purpose. Yeah. And so we got to ask those questions. We got to, we got to, we got to sort of train ourselves to, <laughs> to, to come back to those questions yeah. rather than to just kind of stew in the anger and the And I think that when we get to that point, that's when the third thing comes about yes. that he said was that Jesus renews my strength or yeah. he restores our strength. And then he's, we're able to keep running, keep yeah. running the race yeah. until yeah. the end. Yeah. Because he's the source. He is mm-hmm. the source of our, of our strength. Uh, he's the source of our joy. He's the source of of everything. E- everything that we have um, comes from him. And I love that. I love that the grace just keeps going and mm-hmm. going and going. Like it, he doesn't just end at forgiveness. He doesn't just end at transforming us. But he just keeps blessing and keeps blessing. And that's the that's what God does. Like that's the nature of who he is. He wants to bless us. Well, Ariel, thank you so much for unpacking all this and all the oh, theology no, within all this stuff. I think it's, I just think this is so helpful. Look, you know, as a Christian, I want to be sure that I, I don't know, I've always sort of had this sort of thought that like, I want to know what I believe, but I want to know why I believe it too. And I don't want to be the kind of Christian that just says like, okay, well, I just, you know, God, you know, God is good. Mm -hmm. You know, I can say that, but I want to know why, like, why do I believe that? You know, because I think when, once I know why I believe that God is good, then that gives me a foundation to stand on when I go through all those difficult yeah, things. Yeah. And I think that is so key for us just to keep asking those questions and to keep digging deeper. I agree. Yeah. It feels like there's more hope knowing that, it, I mean, when you've been in conversations with others, it usually comes back to, well, this generation is just going to pot. Everything's, right. <laughs> everything's falling apart. But yeah. to look back and see what the Lord has done, not only over biblical history, but over, you know, humanity's history of even in the in-between as we've been in the church age here, yeah. just knowing like the enlightenment happened and here's what happened to 
man's thought. Yeah. And here's how we ended up the way we are now. Absolutely. This is how we've arrived at this, this uh-huh. what we call a cultural moment right yeah. now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's so important to actually understand those things. And that helps us to know then how to respond. Absolutely. Rightly within all and that. And gives you so. hope that you're not, you're not the most fallen of the fallen. <laughs> it's all the fallen. Right. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully today was helpful for you guys as, uh, as you're listening today. And again, if you have any questions uh, about the things we talked about, then uh, reach out to us. We would love to chat with you about it. Uh, any complaints? Uh, we don't <laughs> want to hear those. We always direct those to, <laughs> to Dave. Dave at stonescrossing.com. Yeah, please. I know. Yeah. We got to do some controversial things here today, but, yeah. um, but you know, I, I think those are good things for discussion and I, and I would love to dialogue with you about it if you have questions about it. So, well, Hey, next week we're going to look at the rest of verse three in mm-hmm. Psalm 23. So we're looking forward to that. So we'll see you next time on the Sunday recap. <laughs>